1: Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall podcast. We're we are, of course, still doing our remote podcasting. I think we called it the, the the Josh Marshall podcast in exile last week. It's funny, you know. It's when I think about this, I I've I'm in that point where I'm not quite sure whether this is how we do it now, or are we still in some sort of like ad hoc. Pro, you know, kind of ad hoc thing where this is the other way is really how we do it. Although, I don't know, but I mean, this gets to a a, 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 a broader personnel issue for us as, as as a company. But with all of this, like you know, reopening stuff that is sort of like the whole national conversation now. When do you do it? How quickly do you do it? What's the trade off with economic life and um and 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 public health? it's a little difficult for me to imagine us in new york city going back to work in our office anytime in the remotely near future and 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 when i say that um that's it it it's a funny thing we are in a what we, with what we do it's relatively easy for us to work remotely um in some e- in some ways, <laughs> it's a lot easier than working in you know, uh, w- working in the office. But um, a- as we've as we have navigated through this mind-boggling, horrifying epidemic, that we are you know, we're certainly not through it. We're kind of to a stabilized part of it in in the New York City area. I've been thinking about how much the subways the subway system contributed to how hard this hit New York City. And there's lots of different factors. It's clear the city government didn't move quickly enough. Some of it is probably bad luck. But I don't think people outside of New York City have quite the sense of how the subway system works and how that, what impact that has in a public health crisis. Because it's not just crowded. Crowded is, you know, crowded is like a movie theater can be crowded, but you're frequently, pu- your body's frequently pushed up against someone else's body in in like rush hour, so you are right on top of people, and it's, you know, I have the, I live near our office for our for our listeners, so I have the 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 blessing on on various levels that I actually walk to work, but. No one else does that. Almost everybody else lives in Brooklyn. They come over on the subways every day. And even if you imagine a pretty low outbreak level, where it's, you know, not a lot of people are getting sick. It's just sort of this person, that person, whatever. (laughs) I wouldn't want to be taking the subway every day if there was no, you know, if it wasn't absolutely necessary, so, yeah, I think I, know.
0: I think I mentioned maybe on last week's episode or one before that part of my regular commute to the office, which takes about 40, 45 minutes, and I, I know like New Yorkers have longer commutes than pretty much anywhere else in the country. Uh, I'm routinely waiting for two trains to pass by because literally you cannot physically fit another person in the car. So just like you say, Josh, crowded is an understatement. It's more like, jam-packed yeah that's the thing is that that when
1: you say there's no room you don't mean there's no seat you mean that like you would try you would have to physically push other people (laughs) in and could your body fit in the space exactly so there are
2: so many human bodies that there are no holes left (laughs) to shove them into to shove yourself in (laughs)
1: exactly exactly and so the I, i mean you know we're not talking like six feet. We're you know th- that you're literally touching someone, um, and 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 a lot of them, and they're breathing in your face and stuff. So, it it seems clear this had a big um, this had a big impact on why the tragedy that unfolded in, in in New York City happened, and that other places have not been close. They've had very bad things, and and it's funny. I mean, I've lived in um, I've lived in other cities with public transportation systems, lived in D.C., lived in Boston, but it's not
0: its not really comparable at all, frankly. It does feel like, yeah, it's just going to be impossible to go back to any sort of normalcy without public transportation being accessible and safe, and it just is sort of hard to figure out what that looks like yeah. anytime yeah. soon. I think Cuomo, just before we started recording, during his daily press briefing, Said he wanted the MTA, the New York City uh, Transit Authority, to come up with a plan to like disinfect trains every night or something like that. But even that just feels like that's just not going to be enough. I mean, yeah, you know, in the during the peak of commuting time, what it was like five plus million riders a day or something like that. And obviously, yeah. that's people coming from Connecticut and New Jersey and all over the place. Not to mention just the boroughs of New York City. So I don't know. it Just feels like almost an impossible. Situation to solve. Yeah. I think you're right, Josh. Like, yeah. um, How do you get to work once things quote unquote reopen? You know, Um, are we biking to work or walking over the bridge? I don't know. It's just sort of hard to imagine, you know?
2: It's interesting because also I'm just trying to think of like, is there any way to regulate how many people get on the train? But, you know, the manpower that would take to be like, okay, you 10 go on this car, you 10 go on the next car. I mean that would just be impossible. The trains are already freaking slow all the time. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, I I mean there's just there's also just a throughput issue. I mean if you yeah. like let's say whatever, you know, I, I don't know how many people are in a single car, subway car when it's packed. Let's say it's two hundred. I mean I've no idea. Let's say it's let's say it's two hundred. I think it's probably that's probably too high, but whatever. So let's say you wanted to kind of take it down to relatively sparse. So, maybe fifty would not be terribly sparse, but you're down to one fourth which means the capacity it it obviously doesn't work people can't get you know there's not enough there's not enough cars
0: um and not and to think, mention the subway the New York City subway system runs on signal technology and things like that that are from like the 1930s and is literally so outdated that i mean these systems like basically just don't exist anymore kind of in the normal world, I guess, and um, so it's not like it was in great in great shape before all this either, right? <laughs> I mean, I think for those who don't live in New York City, the subway system probably occasionally comes across headlines that people see, but it's been like a couple of years, two or three years of just declining service, increased prices, and just more crowded trains. So and I don't that, know. and that's
1: not e- and to be cleared for for listeners. That's not even like that that the signaling. I mean, I think the signaling system, when it's maintained, seems to work fine. I mean, you know, the the cars run. I mean, the things that I, I mean, I'm sure it'd be better to like have something more modern. But the issue that has the big issue recently has just been basic maintenance. You've got to maintain the tracks. you got to maintain the cars. And when you don't, they start breaking down and then you get delays and blah blah, blah, blah. So it's pretty it's it's it's. Pretty basic stuff. But I mean, would you guys, if like a month from now the state government said, okay, good to go, would you guys, I mean, Kate, you can imagine that you're still living in, in, <laughs> yeah. with, with us in, in, in New York City. But would you guys be like, okay, cool, getting back on the subway, coming into work every day? <laughs> I mean, I would. Yeah, wouldn't. I just can't see that. And happen, again, now. that's not a matter of like, that like I would be terrified but like to do something every day like that um yeah. I just
0: cuz yeah you're spending about i mean on an, in a normal week you're spending about 10 hours commuting right an hour to work an hour home and so it's just kind of a, when you think about it like that that's a long time of potential exposure you know and 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 again
1: it's it's one of these things where it's one thing if you have a kind of work where you absolutely have to do it and and you know it kind of is what it is, but we don't have that kind of work. And a lot of people who work in Manhattan um, don't have that kind of work. I mean, you know, like this obviously there's a huge, uh, um, you know, financial services, law firms, you know, a lot of sort of like advertising, creative kind of stuff. It's comparable to what we do in the sense that it can. It can be done remotely. It's not optimally done remotely, but, um... Yeah,
0: well, that's a good segue into talking about sort of the wider reopening. But do you want to, Should we take care of a little business before we get too far?
1: Yes, in? absolutely. Uh, the Josh Marshall podcast, remember, is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Uh, if it's it's just the, the the best stuff around. I've been I've been drinking this stuff for forever. Like I feel like seven or eight years long before uh, I I met Grady, and long before they became sponsors of our podcast. So it's great stuff. You can order it on online at Grady's or you can order it on Amazon if you're a first-time purchaser you can get 20% off if you if you go to their website again Grady's and use the promo code TPM and remember Grady's is an independent uh, an independent company small small business uh, all of those all of those small businesses really need your support right now so give it a try remember it's Grady's
0: and the promo code, did you mention the promo code TPM for 20%, yes, off? For 20% I... off? Yes, for 20% off.
1: Yeah, the promo code TPM. You can uh, get 20% off your get up. your first time at Grady'sColdBrew.com.
0: There we go. So uh, I think since we last talked, Georgia has officially moved to reopening. This is kind of the first state in the country to go it alone and, and reopen a bunch of different uh, sectors of the, of the economy. That includes things like... Um, you know, hair salons and bowling alleys and is it gyms, Kate, as well? Mm -hmm. That's part of the mix, movie theaters, things like that. So I think some of the first images we saw were people lining up to get haircuts on like Friday of last week, which, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can certainly, (laughs) I guess, relate to the desire for that. (laughs) But um, uh, we also have Texas this week moving into kind of a slightly different approach, reopening some things, but I think maybe 25% of full capacity. So maybe a little bit scaled back from what Georgia had done, Mm -hmm. um, which earned Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, a nice little tweet from President Trump, as opposed to Brian Kemp, the governor of (laughs) Georgia, who the president has kind of turned on. Uh, Mm -hmm. Kate, you've been covering some of these sort of local state by state, even kind of area by area debates and, and kind of Skirmishes, for lack of a better word, about how to reopen. What are some of the things you've seen, kind of in different different parts of the country?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're kind of now coming up on the time when a lot of governors are getting pressure to reopen because a lot of their uh, stay-at-home orders end April thirtieth. So, you know, especially in states where you have a Republican um, state house, you know, legislature. There's been a lot of pressure to let those let those orders end and start phasing in the reopening plan. Um, So, yeah, like you said, we have Georgia was like first kind of off the blocks on this. Uh, Texas is following suit. A bunch of other Republican states, Republican governor states are starting to reopen things in shifts. And I guess I mean, we're at the point now where it's too soon to know, you know, if if Georgia's preemptive action is going to result in a, a massive spike or not but i mean you know this is different but just even looking at the wisconsin election you know last i checked in with the dhs a few days ago they were up to 40 cases from people who had voted or worked the election and you know that's just that's it's one election you know it's it's one election where there wasn't um you know, a competitive Republican primary and everything. And I don't know, 40 cases is not nothing in a place, you know, in a state like Wisconsin, which is not a New York, where that's, you know, a statistical small thing. So, I mean, I think you have to expect that we're going to see an uptick of cases. And to me, the question that lingers now is, so what do those states do? Say say Georgia sees a spike now dated to, this, to the pretty mass reopening. Or do they shut down again. You know, I just, I don't know. I think we're, we're entering a time where I understand that I think people are feeling the pressure of the shutdown, both economically, emotionally and everything. And I, you know, personally very much get the push to (laughs) let's go back to normal. But I just think the risk seems really high to me still. Um, And I think probably in two weeks or so, we'll start to see the ramifications of it.
0: I've, I've only seen some really sort of small numbers so far, but even in places like Germany that's reopening a bit, there has been a slight uptick in new mm-hmm. cases, I think, right? And so we've even seen some of these examples in other countries and other parts of the world that even places that are taking seemingly like a logical sort of cautious approach, there are, you know, some, some consequences to that too. Right,
2: well, and part of it is you know, in in Kansas right now, uh, the governor, Laura Kelly, she's a Democrat, is coming out with her plan to reopen on Thursday. And meanwhile, you have Susan Wagle, who's the president of the state Senate, and she's running for Pat Roberts' um, U.S. Senate seat. So she has put forth her own reopening plan, which, you know, means nothing. Nobody follows that. Local governments can't take any cues from that. But you know, in her plan, which reopens almost everything except for nursing homes and, you know, concerts and sporting events, essentially. In this plan, you know, she says we are ranked at the very bottom of states that have testing, you know, and gets in a job at Laura Kelly being like she has stopped complaining, take action, buy tests from elsewhere. But, you know, just that little paragraph was so stunning to me. I'm like, you're... I mean, obviously this is just political expediency, but you're putting forward this plan that would reopen, what, 90% of Kansas's businesses while admitting that you're nowhere near the testing capacity you have to be. I just, I don't really understand how governors are justifying opening these things knowing, obviously she's not a governor, but without massive testing capacity. That seems to me to be the only way to kind of round out the situation is, yeah, you can open a lot of stuff if there's, if it's going to be easy for people to get tested and to keep tabs on people, but that doesn't necessarily seem to be any truer now than it was three weeks ago in a lot of places.
1: I think David, I think, I think what you said about, I mean, what you just said about Germany is, is a key thing from a number of different perspectives. And, and one of those is that most of the countries in Europe that were very hard hit are now beginning to ease up the lockdowns. And Germany is, I think of certainly of all the major companies, uh, c- companies, uh, <laughs> of all the major countries in the EU is rightly seen as being, as, as having handled this the best. And they are starting to ease, e- ease this open. So one of the effects of the way that President Trump has handled this is that he has he has you know partisanized polarized this idea of when do you start opening things back up again and i think for for those of us who are critical of president trump it's it's important to look at this international perspective because other countries that are not crazy are starting to do this you you what we sort of everybody, you know, every country in the world did something very draconian and very jagged to get a hold of a, of a spiraling out of control situation. So the f- the first thing is, it's not crazy to be having the conversation. It's not crazy to be finding things that you can adjust, things that you can, you know, that you can open back up. It's hard not to see it that way. When you've got President Trump, every few days, he gets kind of you know, tetchy and wants to kind of go back to the greatest economy in the world and all that, you know, all that kind of nonsense. Um, And yet on the other point, I saw that, that, um, that news report where I think in Germany, it's, there's been over the last week, there's been a slight ticking up of the infection rate. And one thing for our listeners to, to keep in mind about this is, I can't remember the name of it, but there's this basic formula in epidemiology. It's this kind of N, N variant, or R. It's basically what is the average number of people that each infected person infects? So, you know, I have coronavirus. Do I give it to no one? Do I infect eight other people? And just basic math tells you that if, if I only give it, if if on average infected people only give it to one other person, then it's going to stay stable. And if you can get it significantly under one, it will die out because it can't basically can't effectively reproduce. And the difference between a touch under one and a touch over one. Is huge because really only at one is where you're going to have an equilibrium, right? If you're at 1.5, it's going to it's going to it's probably going to it's going to build and can build out of control. And what they were, I think, clearly saying in Germany was, yes, it's going to go up. If we can keep it at one, then we can. That's okay. It's stable, and 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 we can go forward. And and it's, but it's also to your point, Kate, that this is the whole, this is what the testing thing is really all about Mm -hmm. because without the test, you have no idea until you get into a situation like we were in at the end of March where like suddenly, you know, last week, everything was normal. And this week, every emergency room in the city is, is, is overflowing. And obviously at that point, that means that it's up to some high multiple and it's, and it's, it's, it's totally out of, out of, uh, out of control, and and it you know the, the the economic consequences of this are are staggering. I mean, you just had uh, for our listeners, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday. What is it, the 29th? Uh, April 29th. Mm-hmm. and we just got the first um, GDP numbers out on this crisis, and I think it shows what is it, like four point something. Yeah, 4.8% negative GDP, which is, by normal economic, you know, is is a catastrophic economic contraction. But I saw some people, um, you know, trying to uh, game out what this tells us about what the second quarter is going to be like. You're talking about like a 40% economic contraction. And... um, Again, there there are basic questions that I think are have become radioactive because of Trump's embrace of them, which do need to be grappled with. Not the way he's grappling with them, but um, the the consequences of that kind of economic contraction are huge, and not just for people who are greedy and want all their money. <laughs> there are people, you know, people who go hungry. People who don't get medical care, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big question. And 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 again, I feel like President Trump has kind of gotten in the way of it because he's such a, he he's he's so um, he's so self-centered and 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 crazy and reckless. But you know, we're probably going to be dealing with some form of this for a good year, maybe longer. I mean.
2: I'm- on the economic question, it's also, I think what you said is exactly right and compounded by the fact that Trump has now inextricably linked his re-election to the welfare of the economy, which is not, you know, off base, but it just, it takes the question off the table because anyone who says, realistically, the economy is going to be in this place for a while, that is, you know, he would never accept that or allow that to be said in public. So
0: Even his... Kevin Hassett, Hassert, or, um, Hassett, or yeah, one of Kevin the Hassett. Hassett, one of the the White House economic advisors, was on maybe Fox this week, one of the networks, uh, saying that the nation's unemployment rate is probably you know twenty to thirty percent right now. And just he, even hearing a Trump administration official say those words is kind of like. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of wild to see. And yet we have people like Jared Kushner going on Fox News this morning and saying all these milestones have been hit and like, we're doing awesome. And that's really what the, sh- the story should be. And I guess that kind of comes after reporting over the weekend that Trump is going to try to uh, move away from these rambling hours long briefings every night and more into kind of like an economic success story. But it's like, how do you, <laughs> how do you even do that? I mean what what success story are you really gonna try to sell people? And furthermore, it's like he can't even resist getting in front of cameras. Well
2: that's the thing. Like even if there was an economic message to be touting, when has he ever exercised the discipline to stay on one message? You know, there's no way. You
1: know, the funny the funny thing is, I mean, at at the at a basic level, you know, the 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 president's Shackling to the economy is one of the most basic, uh, you know, one of the most basic facts of of American politics. Um, Economy's doing well, president does great. Economy's doing bad, president's out of luck. We have already seen in the last three years that in our environment, that is not as true as it used to be. The economy, you know, we can say lots of things about there's too much inequality, there's too much insecurity in the economy, but by most of the measures that that um, people think about the economy, the media covers the economy, low unemployment, uh, relatively high growth, a stock market that keeps going up, it's been doing great, and yet the president has been consistently unpopular. I think even, you know, at a basic level, the president's job is just to do the job of being president and put at some move, his immediate electoral prospects. But in a case like this, I think it is undeniably clear that you've got to embrace it. You've got to say, hey, this happened. A great tragedy befell us. He can certainly say, truthfully, he didn't create this pandemic. He didn't create the virus. It's That is a kind of, you know, no one created it. I mean, they can sort of say this stuff about China. And you have to say, kind of like, alright, we're 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 tossing out the old script, and the new script is, how are we going to get through this together? And, and how do we do it? And I think that there is a I think people would be very open to that. I think people have to be open to that, because what's the alternative, right? Um, it, it's, it's in, um, in some ways, I think sometimes about how George W. Bush handled 9-11. At a basic level, it was a huge failure. It happened on his watch. It was catastrophic. And there were lots of pretty good reasons to say that they had warning that they just didn't, you know, they kind of ignored and stuff like that. So some stuff like that that all of that is beyond donald trump's ability uh and you're now back on this thing of even he starts saying these things like third quarter it's going to be cooking in third quarter man and fourth quarter is going to be great and you're like you know what it's not going to be great i'm i mean i would be overjoyed if we were back to just like you know kind of Low levels of contraction by fourth quarter. I think that would be that would be that would be great. If you're talking about coming from like a forty percent contraction, um,
0: it's it's beyond him. It's beyond his his abilities. Josh, I wonder if you could um, just kind of on the reopening topic. You know, you had an interesting reader email a couple days ago. I want to say talking about you know maybe it's not a given that different states opening up and doing different. I don't know, just different approaches won't all necessarily mean we're going to see a huge spike in new cases. Tell us kind of about that debate that's been going on in the editor's blog and some of the responses you've been getting from it. I just think that's kind of interesting. Well, I I think that th- there's a couple different parts of this. One is that
1: these things are not purely mechanistic. Um, as we discussed earlier, there are reasons why this hit New York harder than it hit anywhere else. They're not just about the you know there's luck, there's poor decisions. But again, Manhattan, the entire all of New York City, the concentration of people is just orders of magnitude different um, from most parts of the country, at least significantly different from every part of the country. So in Kansas, if they kind of open things up a bit, we should not be expecting that two weeks later all hell is going to break loose just because that's not how these things, work in general. The other, I mean, it could, you, you you can have some bad luck and things are handled poorly and stuff, but we shouldn't treat it as an expectation because then I think what will happen is nothing really does go too badly after two weeks. And then people start saying, well, okay, all that stuff was just nonsense. So we're going to kind of go totally back to normal. And then maybe six weeks later, you really do have a big problem. So there's an expectations setting thing that I think we all need to be careful about. The other thing that is equally important is that even the pretty crazy open up plans, like the one in Georgia, the one that even the White House turned against and made sort of like the, you know, the bad example, just don't do what Georgia did, We have a reader who is a lawyer who was involved, who was working with a few clients in Georgia on, okay, how do we implement this plan and everything? And this reader emailed in and I was kind of going over the stuff with him. And his point was, when you actually look at the order, it's not anything remotely like normal like anything that seemed normal before. It's not really opening up in the sense that both sides seem to want to portray it at some level. I'm not saying it's a responsible decision, but it's not opening up. One of the first things it says is anybody who can anybody who has employees who can work remote, stay working remote. So, <laughs> there you start with something that is totally not normal where where a, where lots of people are still supposed to work remote. You have other things like um you know, opening gyms, opening salons, opening blah 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 blah. But everybody has to wear masks and everybody has to stay separated by six feet. Well, okay. I mean, a that's that's not that's not normal. But a lot of those things are they even practical? I mean, you're opening the salon and everybody has to stay six feet. Like, what does that even mean? So there's a lot right. of things there that I think when we when we kind of push down on them. We see that are are they actually going to be able to open up, or is this kind of like a magical thinking to make the opening up state feel better like if you if you run a salon, are you actually going to open it up if everybody has to stay six feet apart? I mean obviously right. you're touching the person, so that makes no sense. So I think a lot of there's a there's a lot of these things in these opening up plans that in practice, the places that in theory can open up are not going to open up because it's not, it's just not doable to open up. And one more example is with like restaurants, they can open up with like 25% capacity or 50% capacity. That's not how restaurants work. Restaurants are, are inherently low margin or close margin operations. Uh, restaurants can be very profitable but it's all for that profit is based on everything kind of working in tandem i would say that is probably a given that most restaurants cannot be profitable with 50% capacity it just it just won't work it just it's not built for that or certainly 25% capacity so maybe the restaurants can open up but they may not open up because the restrictions make business not viable. And then the last point is, to pe- say, say the restaurants open up, and I'm sure you're going to get some sort of like, you know, open up Trumper types going to be going down there to lick every table and stuff like that. <laughs> but a lot of people, maybe they think politically it's great, but are they going to go down there? They're going to bring the parents down there. They're going to bring their, you know, uh, th- their their uh, kid with diabetes down there. A lot of people just aren't going to do it. So there's a lot about we've gotten into this very binary, you know, open it up right now. The the cure can't be worse than d- the disease kind of stuff, and then you've got. Other people who broadly speaking, I think are on the right side saying, No, public health matters more than the economy, and we've got to listen to science. But again, I think in the nature of Trump's polarization of this, you can't you can't stay totally locked down forever. So you have to have that conversation. But again, to your to to answer your question, David, a lot of these things are a lot more muddled, close up than, than we think.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I've definitely been thinking about the restaurant example too. I mean, it's part of what makes living in New York city such a, you know, it's part of what makes it an exciting place to live is, you know, there's lots of different types of food and different people. And, you know, the diversity is, is its strength. And even a few days before, I guess the kind of more total shutdown of New York happened, restaurants were required to operate at, I think like 50% capacity. And like you say, Josh, when it's you know, when you're a small independent neighborhood restaurant and your margins are so slim to begin with, and basically the product that you're selling expires in a matter of days, you know what I mean? It's not like a good that you can just sort of hang on to. Like it's a perishable, it's a perishable thing. Um, You know, I've just been kind of thinking about this, looking at restaurants that are doing delivery and takeout versus those that are just closed and, even the ones doing delivery, it has to be just a fraction of what their revenue was before that, right? Like the restaurant survives by packing as many people in there as yeah, possible. it's it's, it's so. like
1: imp- impossible to imagine that it that it remotely g- gets close to it. I, I I I would think that what is happening in most of those cases is most of the staff is furloughed or laid off or you know, in one sense or another, they're they're Uh, they, they, the the revenue cannot pay for the, the, you know, the, the sort of the normal time staff. So you probably have, you know, the owners and a skeleton staff cooking the stuff and, and delivering it. And that may, who knows what the economics of it are. Uh, it, it, as you say, it's like, uh, I mean, they're not, um, One of the places I was going to a lot before, you know, in our neighbor, in our work neighborhood, before all this started, was this cava place on Sixth Avenue, and that's a chain. It's sort of like another popular lunch spot. Yeah, kind of Chipotle kind of thing, and uh, you know, packed. And that's the model. They have to has to be packed every single day. So, um, you know, that that's not the mom and pop thing we're, we're 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 talking about, but. Yeah, I imagine it's just to keep a sort of a trickle of revenue going. And probably, I mean, if I were a restaurateur, I would be thinking, you know, let alone existing staff, let alone trying to keep some kind of financial viability, you don't want people to forget about you, right? Um, that's So that's another reason to keep delivering stuff that you you want to maintain – you know, some kind of relationship with, with, your, with your clientele. It's, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal.
2: I mean, yeah. and this is all part of an overarching question that I've been having, which is just like, how do we restart the economy before there's a vaccine? Or how do we reopen businesses for real? So I think all these points are good and don't seem to need to be factors that look like they're going to go away at all organically. I don't know how that would happen. It's like you know, we socially distance, the curve flattens, we go back outside, it spikes. I mean, what's to stop Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like quite a a pickle to me.
1: I I think that you know, this is why again, it's become just the sort of the 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 truism of not of the non-Trump commu- you know, non-Trump community that it's all about testing. And it's not that testing solves it, but to your point, Kate, if you're testing, you, you, then you can say, okay, right now we think it is, you know, kind of 0. 0.75 on that R number thing we mm-hmm. were talking about before. And we're going to do these three things and we're going to wait a couple weeks and see what happens. And maybe you do that and not too much happens. And okay, well, that worked. And then we're going to, you, you I think you have to kind of just feel your way. I mean, there's no question that, and, and I think this is also a case where I think New York City may be in a different place than almost any other part of the country because of the transportation system. But let's, let's set New York City aside. It is certainly the case that if everybody's consistently washing their hands, if everybody is wearing a mask, if everybody makes an effort to to keep some physical distance from everybody else, I don't think we know that that in itself may dramatically cut things down and be sustainable in some places. I'm not saying it is, but I don't think we know that it isn't. Um, it's... It's I think we know at this point that COVID is not as contagious as chickenpox or the measles or, or, or stuff like that. Um, so that may be possible. And it's in a lot of ways, it's, it's really kind of a matter of, we've gotten this sort of like, an you know, opening up the economy metaphor that we're all talking within and that confuses it because it's, it's kind of like, you know, we turned off the light switch and now we're going to turn it back on. It all comes down to this, you know, things, how many things can you do that are sort of contagion vectors and still not have things, everything, you know, kind of spiral out of control. And I think what you're talking about is, is there's three big things you're talking about. One is commuting, getting back and forth from, you know, from work. The other is being at your work and how, how contagious is the environment in your workplace. And then there are uh, things you do by choice to enjoy your life. You go to restaurants, you go to theaters, you know, stuff like this. And those kind of things, that last category, it's pretty hard to see how that is a, a logical thing to be doing as long as this continues to be prevalent in the community and you don't have a vaccine. Commuting, there are lots of parts of the country, and this is something that normally everybody is against and, and or, you know, certain people are against and for good reasons. Everybody just drives in their car to work. And it's easy enough to socially distance in your car, right? Um, in New York City, there's no way, I mean, A, lots and lots of people don't Have cars, even not people who are like low income. Lots of people just don't have cars. Doesn't in a lot of ways doesn't make sense to have a car in New York City. But there's just no way if you're living in Brooklyn, if you have a car, you're going to drive in today. Well, (laughs) it just doesn't work. It's just not. It's just not possible. Um, So then you get to that issue of what is your workplace like? Can you meaningfully distance in the workplace? And that's kind of a workplace by workplace thing. So in a lot of ways, we have to, you know, get out of this binary sense of things. I mean, the one thing I think you can't do is I don't think you can go into restaurants, going to bars, going to clubs, going to movie theaters. Very hard to see how that is viable in most of the country.
0: Yeah. Even like flying in a plane with three crowded seats next to each other, all these different you know there's gonna to have to be a reimagining of so many different things for a while and uh you know a reimagining of offices too like you're saying like maybe the end of the open office plan that has become so popular and maybe we go back to cubicles or I don't know something kind of like that where there's actually a bit of a barrier and some distance between people, yeah, but even yeah. that gets complicated right I mean I'm sure you know this better than me, but kind of cost per square foot and how many people can you fit into a, a space? Cha- you know, that, that, you know, the calculation changes for each company. And I don't know, it's just sort of all these different dominoes and decisions to be made when you have to kind of change everything. It, it, it also kind of, at some level, it, it,
1: for our company, at a certain level it defeats the purpose if we're all working independently in our own offices i mean again that's not even remotely viable for our office i mean there's no there's no offices right, <laughs> right. <laughs> unless we want to build a completely different thing and there's not enough space for it so it's it's a it's a it's a moot point but to the extent that we were all hived off in separate offices why are we why are we going to an office in the first place? We might as well be all be at home. The company would save a lot of money on 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 office space
0: yeah any, any final <laughs> any final thoughts on that point i don't I think we're kind of coming to the end but um maybe Kate, i liked your idea a couple of weeks ago. maybe uh we'll end on a more positive note in anything, yes, <laughs> <the, laughs> anything from the from your week that uh has i don't know kind of been a silver silver lining or giving you a little bit of a a perk a pep in your step.
2: Yeah, actually, uh, we have started playing the game Settlers of Catan virtually. There's a, an online version you can do. Um, so we've been, you know, like having these three laptops set up where we each have the game on our laptop and then, a third one, to have, you know, a Zoom call or whatnot.
0: Hmm, Are you familiar with this game, Josh? It's kind of like a... No, I I, I was going to say,
1: explain to our listeners what that's about. (laughs) I'm a listener. What what are you talking about?
2: Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny. It's like the super popular board game. Um, It's kind of a board game for
0: adults, kind of, because it's more complicated than kind of like a Monopoly or a... Thing like
2: that. I learned about it in college, but its basis is basically trading resources and building settlements and connecting roads, mm. and it's like a race, and you get points for things, so whoever has the most points wins. Like one um, of these
1: civilization simulation game. exactly. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It seems almost like Minecraft or something like that, but... Like a yeah, board game kind of It's thing, kind of just you know. like,
2: yeah, like a simpler Minecraft. Yeah. Where like all you, you trade literally like wheat and bricks and like a brick and a wheat and a sheep make a settlement and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's really fun. It's, you know, a bit of luck, a bit of thinking ahead. Um, yeah. And I don't know, it's kind of fun to like, you know, yell with people about bartering wheat instead of, you know, something that actually matters. So yeah, yeah that, that's been a, a real highlight.
0: That's cool. What mm-hmm. about you, Josh? Um, well, I have been, I think
1: I mentioned in one of my posts, I've been listening to our podcast, which I really enjoy, uh, mm-hmm. and, and for lots of different reasons. And, and I have been, because I think, I don't know if I mentioned this in one of the podcasts or in a post that, because of my knee running as a form of exercise is not really viable for me um, so I've been doing these I, I walk about three miles a day just to get some level of, of of exercise in until we can get back to where we have gyms that aren't like you know kind of germatoriums basically and uh, so I've been listening I've been listening to other podcasts and I, and it it's I the big podcast people talk about there's a few of them I listen to but kind of isn't my thing but there there's there's lots and lots of great history podcasts and the one that I just started listening to uh, a few days ago is this there's a podcast called the history of Singapore podcast and it's by this guy who's a historian and sort of activist in Singapore Um, but you know like a credentialed historian I think he teaches at Oxford now or something And it's just, you know, this is my, history is my thing, but it's just fascinating, right? Uh, Just learning about stuff that is just, it's good to know about. And you get Mm -hmm. get someone who puts together a podcast and, and is a, is a, you know, kind of credentialed expert on it. And you learn, you learn about an entirely different world, right? Um, So that's that's, 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 that's something fun that I'm, that I'm doing.
0: That's really nice. cool. I've been kind of keep going on my some cooking projects, made some homemade scallion pancakes, nice. homemade fajitas, just kind of trying to keep busy in the kitchen, which you know after you're kind of sitting on this uncomfortable desk chair work from home <laughs> situation, just kind of getting up and I don't know working with your hands so to speak is a nice way to separate the work day a little bit yeah, but maybe really if our nice. listeners have any if our listeners have any i don't know anything that has been kind of brightening their days you should send it to us and maybe we can share some of the best best ideas on the on the pod but
2: that'd be nice things are feeling a little bleak right now (laughs) i think we need some rays of sunshine
0: i think this week and maybe starting last week was when it started to set in that we are in for a really long haul you know i think we're at what is the seventh week that we've been remote something like that but i don't well, know since it's march 11th so
1: that's yeah about 7 weeks i mean mm-hmm. coming yeah yeah about 7 weeks i mean i think i don't know i don't know about you guys or our listeners but i think one of the things is is that crisis in a literal sense drives adrenaline right you're you're kind of and 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 when you're in a crisis you're like okay I'm in a crisis right now. I need to I need to focus on getting from A to B. And I need to focus on how am I going to make this this being cooped up in my home thing work. And the necessities of the moment and the newness and in some cases the fear keep you focused. And then at a certain point after a month, after 6 weeks, sort of like, okay, I kind of have this down. And for those of us in New York or still in the New York area, you know, the some of the immediate sense of like fear and sense of your own physical danger diminishes. And then it starts kind of catching up to you You're like, this kind of sucks. <laughs> like I, I, this is hard. This is hard living my whole existence in my house. Um, and obviously, much harder working in emergency room or being worked on an emergency room but still, it's hard, and that kind of catches up with you. And and uh, I I I I uh, I I have sensed through many channels that that six weeks or so, four to six weeks period, has has really caught up with a lot of people, and it's it it gets harder in a in a different way, just because you start thinking like, ah, I'm not this is this. Not really clear when this is going to end. I mean, I've actually had it with my kids, you know, because they miss school or you know if they miss school, but they miss their friends, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, when they talk to me and I have to explain like, well, is there going to be school in the fall? Can you gonna be able to see your friends in the fall? And um I mean, obviously, the real answer is I have no idea, but when I think about it, is there going to be? Kind of to Kate's point before what is going to change by September? you know the virus isn't going to get less virulent by September. We're certainly not going to have herd immunity unless we have two or three more surges where tons of more people die um, so and 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 you know the one, the one point I didn't you know when I mentioned my three things a, a, a few moments ago, schools schools is the big thing and without schools basically a a big 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 chunk of the population can't work if there are no schools because there's no one to take care of their kids and the thing with schools is schools are dense and whether you're relatively young and you remember being a kid or you have parent or you are are parents of kids kids can't socially distance it's not, certainly like, you know, middle school kids or elementary school kids, it's just not realistic. They don't have the, the, the I don't know, it's hard to call it self-discipline exactly, but it's just not realistic. Um, and so it's hard to know when this is going to end and when we're going to go back to anything like what we remember as normal. That wasn't mm-hmm. that long ago, right? It's only yeah, like, exactly. like six or seven weeks ago, but it seems like an eternity.
0: Yeah, it really does. So uh,
1: let me remind everybody that the Josh Marshall Podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice coffee. It's great stuff. We all drink it. Uh, In the before times when we worked in an office in Manhattan, uh, it powered our office. It's great stuff. You can order it right now at Grady'sColdBrew.com. And if you're a first-time buyer, you can get 20% off your first order with the promo code TPM, or you can order it on Amazon. You can also, uh, if you're going, if there are, you know, however supermarkets are opened in your area, they probably have probably some supermarket in your area where you can buy it. So try it out. It's really great stuff. And remember to support not just an independent company like Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee, but Independent companies, small businesses in your area, because remember, buying from them, supporting them now will make it more likely that they will continue to be there uh, when, at some unknown point in the future, we go back to a normal existence. So remember, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee, uh, Grady's Cold Brew.com. All right.
0: Good to talk to you guys. All right. Thanks
2: everybody Later,
0: right. folks. Take care. Bye bye.